One doesn't leave the best job in the world for anything less than an opportunity that can genuinely, if we're lucky, save the planet. Welcome back to our bite-sized 40-minute mentor startup spotlight series. In today's episode, we're rejoined by a familiar face, former 40-minute mentor and serial founder Marta Kropinska joins us to share more about her latest venture, the carbon removal brokerage Curate. If you're a new listener and you haven't checked out Marta's previous 40-minute mentor episode, then please make sure you do by following the link in the show notes to her Series 7 debut. Marta, it's always a pleasure seeing you. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. How are things? Yeah, I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. How are you today? I'm very good and I'm super excited to see you back on the podcast as a founder of a new business, which I'd love to learn more about. So for those that don't know you, you've previously founded FinTech's Asimo and FreeUp. And then more recently, you're at Google heading up startups in the UK. So an amazing CV, but you've taken the plunge to go back into the founder seat with your new carbon removal platform, Curate. So first of all, tell us a bit about the origin story behind the business and how it all works, if you don't mind. No, amazing. And well, I'm definitely incredibly excited to tell you about it because as you said, I've done it before. I then spent four and a half years leading Google for startups and I basically had the best job in the world and one doesn't leave the best job in the world for anything less than an opportunity that can genuinely, if we're lucky, save the planet. So yes, the origin story. So as you said, Curate is a platform for carbon removals and one might ask themselves, what are carbon removals? Sort of, I'll tell you my own story. I first heard of carbon removals in December 2020. And at this point, I was at Google, hugely enjoying what I was doing, but also feeling like there is just this incredible opportunity, the privilege of being able to just obsess over a problem and get people around the idea and build. I've always been completely fascinated by this lifestyle, and I always knew that I wanted to go back. But I sort of felt like a lot of the challenges in fintech, and I spent most of my life in consumer fintech, the problems that I really cared about to solve have largely, maybe not entirely been solved, but we made a significant dent in the universe. So I was thinking, what could be the next thing that I would get excited about? And sometimes the world just gives you what you need. And my former co-founder, Ruben Saxon from FreeUp, told me about soil carbon. And I was like, soil carbon, what? what is that? How does it work? And he's like, oh, you know, you can work with the land in such a way that you increase its capacity to retain carbon because, you know, did you know we need to reduce emissions? Obviously, everybody knows that, but also we've actually left it too late. The IPCC, the um, Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, talks about how we left it so late that we not only have to reduce emissions maximally, we also have to remove the carbon that's already in the atmosphere. And I was like, hang on a second, we can actually do that? And it blew my mind because I think I was becoming slightly defeatist. I was like, I don't see us decarbonizing fast enough. I don't know if we're going to stay below 1.5, at which point, you know, there's just irreversible damage to the planet. So this idea that we could build these time machines that will undo the damage that we've done, that completely rocked my world. And I was like, hang on a second, you're doing it with soils, but, but what about, could you do it in the oceans? How about, could you do anything else? You know, can we suck carbon out of the atmosphere and put it away safely into geological storage? Turns out you can do all of those things. There is this entire new asset class called carbon removals, where you literally sequester carbon out of the sky and put it away safely for hundreds and thousands of years. And to think that we're at the dawn of this new industry, which is being already priced at a future value of over a trillion, well, obviously for any entrepreneur, that's very exciting. But the last thing that really drew me to carbon removals was the fact that I spent a lot of my career 
thinking about how we build more inclusive, more equitable industries. And climate change is one of those issues that we will not be able to solve. UK for UK, US for US, you know, India for India. In fact, whether we sequester a ton of carbon in Kenya, in Brazil, or in the US, from a planetary perspective, it makes no difference. But when you think about the fact that that same asset could be sold for the same amount of money in Kenya or in the US, obviously in the global south, that money goes so much further. And suddenly I felt like anything I ever cared about using technology for good, you know, big market opportunities, and basically international development and equity sort of came together in this one opportunity. And by the summer of 2021, I was entirely hooked. I've spoken to every investor or founder in Europe that looked at carbon removals. And I was like, I think I think there's going to be this new asset class. We need to make it easier to create, to trade, for people to get transparency and understanding of how this market looks. And we need to build an industry the size of oil and gas in 10 years. It's going to be backbreaking. It's the space race of the 21st century. And I could not think of anything that'd be as exciting as this to spend the next major chunk of my career on. When you put it like that, I completely understand. I mean, that's an incredible description. And very inspiring Genesis story. And I'm so pleased you've taken up this challenge because you have such a strong track record of building amazing businesses. And boy, do we we really need it right now. And I think it's one of the most commonly talked about topics, the climate crisis on this podcast is something that we're really passionate about. So firstly, good luck. Excited to see what you're, you're going to achieve over the years ahead. And our listeners will know you as this serial entrepreneur. I guess maybe you would have thought that you wouldn't be going back to that world anytime soon based on the last conversation we had in this podcast. And there aren't that many founders that just keep going on that roller coaster many, many times over. So what is it about entrepreneurship that just keeps reeling you back in? It may sound trite, but I just feel it's such an incredible privilege. I can't remember how much of my sort of backstory I shared in the podcast last time, but I'm born in Poland in 1988, so a year before the Berlin Wall fell. My parents didn't have passports until they were well into their 40s. And suddenly, you know, I was 16 years old when Poland entered the European Union. I had a passport that would allow me to live anywhere in Europe and travel around the world. And the internet was burgeoning. And I was 19 years old when I started my first company. And I think I just have this deep appreciation for the opportunity that I have, the way in which the world is open, the way that technology and the internet mean that once upon a time to start a company, you probably had to, you know, have a lot of money and open a factory. Whereas, you know, these days you can pretty much write a bunch of lines of code or in fact, and I'm very proud of that, we started Curate in a spreadsheet and it's possible to do that. And I think just when you think about the different ways in which we all sort of exercise our agency in the world, when I think about the times that I've been the most myself, the happiest, the most fulfilled, it was always when I had the opportunity to work with people I really admired, learning very, very fast and feeling I'm making an impact on the world. And I was so proud of all of the incredible work we've done at Google for Startups. And I'm delighted that the team, Mariamo Manjal and the team are doing amazing work continuing it. But I felt like, you know, I made my little dent in the universe here and was the next thing that I really genuinely care about. And I cannot really think of of an environment other than actually founding an organization that lends itself to that end as well as this does. I think it's an incredible privilege to be able to build and to have people, both your employees and investors, to back your play. Such an amazing way of looking at it. I can really see that. Obviously, this is not your first radio, but I'd love to know 
how you're approaching building this business compared to the previous ones you built. Are you kind of leaning on all the experience and, and doing very something very similar or is it completely different or a mix of the two? Tell us more. I suppose in its nature, this business is very different. And one of the, so as I said, I sort of, I started, I probably spent two years researching the subject, but as you say, I'm a serial fintech entrepreneur and a former investor. I'm not a climate scientist. And I think one of the critical things in climate tech that is required for success is actually building together with the scientific community. There are people that have been working on this for 30, 50 years. And I think there is almost a risk in just copying and pasting some of the best methods from Silicon Valley, you know, how to build B2B SaaS and sort of, you know, kumbaya, let's go. So I was incredibly intentional about looking for co-founders and two of my co-founders are absolute beasts of climate. You know, Dr. Gabriel Walker spent 30 years in climate science. She's a PhD from Cambridge, taught at Cambridge and Princeton, ran the new scientist and climate change for Nature magazine, worked with policymakers and large institutions on how to combat climate change and what are the most innovative ways in which we solve this issue. And, you know, I sort of, I've brought my business experience and her climate science experience, plus our third co-founder, Mark Stevenson, who's been a consultant to including the Ministry of Defense advising on climate change and national security. We need to bring the best of what we know in innovation technology and in science and actually in policymaking to create this huge industry. And we're going to have to start from creating awareness and trust. So I'm incredibly grateful to you to give me airtime on your podcast, because one of the things we really need to know, we need to get people to know that there is this new asset class that we can slowly be investing in. We need to be reducing and removing. And we need to build this industry incredibly quickly. So I suppose, you know, my previous businesses have been regulated software plays. Now, this is an ecosystem business that requires software, hardware, and science and marry them all in ways that perhaps have not been done before. And I'm very excited to be learning how to do that. Wonderful. Thank you so much. You recently raised a 5.3 million pre-seed round led by Google Ventures, which is an incredible amount of money. It's such an impressive sort of raise. And I know you've got a lot of work to do with that money. So I kind of totally understand it. But congrats on that firstly. But can you share a bit about your fundraising experience and just maybe any advice for any founders that are going through that process currently because it is a difficult time to raise there's no two ways about it so any advice for someone that's been there and done it many times before I think would be really helpful I suppose there's one piece of advice that I always give to everybody because it's just universally true in early stage businesses investors look at three things what's the team because at the beginning the product doesn't exist. So you're, they're really investing in you. So what's the team and how can you tell a really coherent story around how you are the best people in the world to solve this problem? So I suppose, you know, from a founding team perspective, myself and my co-founders, as I've already described us, made perfect sense. The second most important thing is the size of the market. It has to be a multi, multi-billion dollar market for you to get a chance to become a billion dollar business. So carbon removals as a category growing, nascent, exciting. There's a lot of momentum. And because of the fact it's actually very weird and unusual for an entrepreneur not to have to answer the question of how big could this get, but how big must it get for us to stay below 1.5 degree increase? And if we're saying the IPCC said we need 10 billion tons of carbon removal per year by 2050, depending on where the price point is going to be, that's going to between two and a half and 10% of the global economy. We're talking 
in the high trillions. So obviously, <laughs> lots of opportunity in the market to build a multi-billion dollar business. And then the third piece is product. So it's first team, then market, then product. Do you have a product? Is it in the market now? We were very lucky in that, you know, by the time we went out to raise, we already had very healthy revenues. From a perspective of an investor, I suppose I was lucky, but also I knew what I was doing and that we built a narrative that was compelling to investors. I cannot underestimate this an overnight success that took me 11 years to build. You know, I started my first company 16 years ago. I've been working in tech in London since 2012. So it is important to spell out that probably some of the challenges that I had or didn't have versus a challenge of a first-time founder, especially of a first-time founder from an underrepresented background, just it would be very, very different because investors will easily assume, you know, investors are humans, you know, they also take shortcuts. They'll assume, okay, you know, she's delivered before and she's got this world-class climate scientist and what could go wrong? So I think I'm definitely aware of the fact that my fundraising experience has been very different to many people in the market right now, from what I can tell you. And I think this can be encouraging for other founders. Investors haven't stopped investing. They're still sitting on capital. They're still deploying capital. They're just crowding around the hottest deals. And I have a bunch of people in my inbox that are not acting as if, you know, they wanted to hold back. So if you can build an enticing enough narrative around your team, your market and your products, there is very much capital out there for you to grab. That's the sort of positive news we want to hear, Marta. Thank you. And looking ahead to the next year at Curate, I'm sure you have so much planned and so many exciting things in store. So what can you share with us about your big, bold aims for the year ahead? Awesome. Thank you. So as I said, we have to build an entire new industry and sort of what are the things that are necessary to do it? Uh, some of the sort of the capacity challenges in the industry is that there isn't very much carbon removal on the market right now, and we literally need to build it out. We won't be able to stimulate supply without stimulating demand. So we're working with a lot of very exciting clients on multi-year offtake agreements that would pour millions of pounds into the hands of suppliers who can then work on their innovation and ultimately pull more carbon out of the sky. So sales are definitely a big focus of ours. Speaking of capacity building for suppliers, we're also very well aware that and this is when I say that this is an ecosystem business rather than a pure software play. Financing carbon removal doesn't necessarily look like grants or venture capital. A lot of it looks like project financing. You might be building factories. You might be grinding up a rock and spreading it over farmland. And that is high capex. So the first hire I made in the product team was a financial products director. And we're talking to capital providers about innovative ways in which we can cocktail capital and make it available to carbon removal suppliers. So I'm very much looking forward to an MVP of our first financial product. But other than that, I get to do a lot of, which is probably a founder's favorite thing, which is hiring. Like what an absolute opportunity to once again assemble a crack team around us who are experts in their field and in their categories. So we're currently 10. We want to be minimally 17 by the end of the year. And yeah, that's definitely a highlight of my day every time I get to speak to somebody who's as passionate about our mission as we are. Music to my ears, given our day job, and I'm sure to many people listening. So for anyone that is desperately sort of getting their CV together to ping it over to you, tell us a bit more about those hiring plans. And I guess particularly, what advice do you have for anyone that wants to join Curate? Are there any particular things when it comes to culture and how you interview and things that are really critical that you're looking for? So anyone that does end up opposite you can really make a good impression. 
Yep. Excellent question. So when it comes to the roles that we've got open, we were definitely beefing up our sales team. We're sort of almost there, but we still have one role open on the partnership side. Product and tech, so product managers, UX, UI, lead engineer. We have a policy director role open. Now, I've never been in an industry where venture capitalists or just any private market sort of actors are as excited about regulation as people are in carbon removals. We know that there is a compliance market coming in the next sort of five to seven years, but working very closely with the regulators and rule setters is of paramount importance. So um, that's a pretty important role for us. And anyway, if you go to our website, which is curate, spelled C-U-R number eight, dot earth, there is a jobs section, which I very much encourage you to check out. When it comes to sort of interviewing with us, I mean, I suppose, so there are a couple of things from a culture standpoint. I want to believe where we literally just had a culture session yesterday and today. We think we're quite low ego, very impact driven, intellectually rigorous, focus on outcomes, fun. I will say it's very different for me building a business in my mid thirties, where the team is, I'm like the second youngest person. Many people have young children. We have people that are younger and sort of, you know, that culture of like work till 11, go to the pub. A big part of my career has been like this. This feels a little bit more mature, but I think in the right way, we're having a lot of fun when we're having fun and we're having a lot of amazing work and doing a lot of amazing work when we're we're doing work. The challenge we have on the hiring front is when you're doing something that's never been done before, how do you hire people that have experience in it? So we're trying to mix the whole carbon removal space is probably like four or five years old. We're trying to cocktail in people that have niche carbon removals experience, but maybe need to figure out a sort of a skill that they would be. So, you know, you might know a lot about carbon removals, but perhaps you've not run sales and partnerships for a large organization. But actually, it doesn't matter because you're a sector expert. And on the flip side, you know, we might have somebody who perhaps is an incredible product manager just doesn't understand carbon removals yet as an asset class. And again, that's fine. So we're trying to bring in the best subject matter experts and technical experts and together figure out this new quality. It's really exciting. Great to hear all the great roles and the culture you're creating, which sounds like an amazing place to be. So prepare yourself for the influx of applications that I'm sure will come off the back of this episode. Finally, Marta, and I feel like guilty for taking your time when you have such important work to do. So we'll wrap up after this question. But we're obviously experiencing record temperatures all around the world. We're doing irreversible damage to the planet. So what can everyone listening to this do to help combat climate change directly to sort of play our own part in this whole story? It's so critically important. And actually, I would like, you might be leading me into talking about like managing our own individual footprints. And obviously, that's important. But I think in the context of carbon removals that are such a focus of mine, I would say so much of what we can individually do is about building out awareness and advocacy. So The science is unequivocal. We have to reduce emissions as much as we possibly can, but we also have to remove carbon from the atmosphere. There's an entire world of carbon offsets that all of us have heard about, where only about 4% of these actually remove carbon. So we need to build this huge carbon removals space. Now, the UK is the best place in the world to build a business like this. And the reason is that we have, we are the first ones in the world to have a legal definition of net zero. Everybody's heard of net zero. Many people don't know exactly what it means. But the legal definition in the UK is that you have to reduce your emissions as an organization by 90% and then durably remove the rest. The challenge is 
as I already said, we need to get to 10 billion tons by 2050. We currently have about a million tons a year. So we need to build that capacity really, really quickly. There is a compliance market coming in about five to seven years where organizations will be legally required to buy removals. That's not there yet. We already, we need revenues and interest from clients today so that we can build out carbon removal so that when compliance market comes, there is enough to go by. And that's a big challenge that we're having. So I'm sure there are many of your listeners that are in corporate roles or in media or in education or in other ways, just thinking about what are the big industries that are now coming up that are going to help us stop climate change. And of course, it's about energy transition. And of course, it's about electric cars. And of course, it's about protecting deforestation. All of those are really important. But if you can remember one thing from this podcast, there is hope in the shape of carbon removals that can help us remove some of the damage that we've already done to the planet. And if we all work together and if we think about corporate citizenship really, really properly and about the benefit that it can give to organizations who are thinking about sustainability, we already know that talent cares more about sustainability. You know, corporates that care about this have a better chance of securing talent or retaining talent. We know that in procurement, it's increasingly being taken into consideration. If you're managing your carbon footprint as a corporate really properly, you have a better chance of finding new clients. There is a plethora of reasons why to get involved and why to show leadership. So I'd say talk to your colleagues, to your friends, and you know to your boss down the pub about carbon removals. And that's going to definitely contribute to our fight against climate change. Fantastic, Marta. Thank you so much for that. And yeah, I think as you said earlier, at times you can feel a bit hopeless with it all and that there isn't much you can do, but actually there is. And there are amazing companies like yours that are doing some real good in this space and uh, we can all play our part. So thank you for that. Lovely to see you again. Really excited about all you're going to achieve over the rest of the year and beyond. And you certainly have all of JBM's best wishes. And I'm sure I speak for all of our audience as well, who will be rooting for you from the sidelines. So all the best with it. And thank you again for coming on the pod. That's incredibly kind. Thank you so much. Always such a pleasure and a privilege to chat to you. Cheers, Marta. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. Before we let you go, I wanted to ask a small favour. This year's Great British Podcast Listener's Choice Award is open for nominations and we would really appreciate your vote for 40 Minute Mentor. So if you have a spare minute today, please head over to britishpodcastawards.com forward slash voting and nominate 40 Minute Mentor. Thank you so much for voting for us and we're really looking forward to seeing you again next week for more pocket-sized mentorship.